welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, we have somatic sex educator and sexological body worker, Cassie Porter, join us for a conversation about moving towards pleasure through sex work. Together, we talk about destigmatizing sex work, exploring our kinks, and my fears of a monogamous sex life. Oh man, that is a conversation I have had multiple times on this podcast and is one I'm still continuing to explore, right, in my own personal life and with my research. So yeah, that will be a conversation that probably comes back, y'all, multiple times. But this was such a fun conversation with Cassie and I really appreciated all of the honesty and the vulnerability that she brought into this conversation about being a sex worker, right? There's a lot of stigma. There's a lot of assumptions about what a sex worker is and what they do and why they do their work. So I really appreciate that Cassie came on to talk honestly about her experience and the healing that she found through sex work. This is a really powerful story and a fun conversation that I hope all of y'all enjoy. Tune in. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> also, yeah, before we start, like, do you have any questions too? Like, we can really take this anywhere. I was just. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it seems like it's just kind of like free flowing, just um, okay. And just chatting about what comes up. And yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I urge to ask you if there were questions. I'm like, you know, I'm just kind of roll with it and, you know, just speak to, to what feels important and authentic. So. Absolutely. And also feel free to ask me any questions too. It doesn't have to feel like an interview so we can like make it more of a conversation as well. So okay, like take it anywhere you want. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, I really love what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. That's very kind. Is there, we could, I, we could talk about the earth energy or I, is there anything you want to talk about specifically on the space that maybe you came into today thinking about? Yeah, I think more so than earth energy, I want to talk about bodies and yeah. I want to talk about sexuality and I want to talk about the work that I do, uh, which is somatic sex education and sexological body work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I touch genitals for pleasure as part of my work. And I also was kind of feeling into, yeah, talking about sex work as okay healing modality and yeah the stigma around that and Mm. and really you know kind of what the the space offers for people and how it's so different than um the conceptions that people have around it absolutely 100 percent. yep 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 I would love to talk about all these topics with you for sure 
Let's see here. Well, then first, could you tell me a little bit about what you do just generally? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a somatic sex educator and sexological body worker. And so essentially, I support people with um, moving toward sexual wholeness and moving toward pleasure, healing from sexual trauma, um, and doing that through a somatic approach, um, and which includes and can include touch. It doesn't include touch for everyone, but um, most of the folks that I work with um, do opt for um, some form of touch. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I touch a lot of bodies, and I touch bodies of all genders, um, all orientations, and most of my clients are uh, women, mm-hmm. trans folks, non-binary folks, queer folks. So mm-hmm. I really, yeah, kind of center those folks. I do a lot of gender exploration. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, people who like are getting the sense like that they they don't fit into the binary, and having a safe space to explore that. Mm-hmm to um, have a, you know, a full expression of their eroticism that's not determined by the dominant culture, right, and all of the embedded kind of heteronormative scripts. Mm -hmm, mm I have a queer client who, you know, identifies as genderqueer, um, is a vulva owner, but also wants to explore their energetic penis. And so being able to, you know, kind of connect in with that more masculine energy, being able to celebrate that and allow that to be, you know, kind of part of their authentic sexual expression. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like incredibly meaningful work. I can imagine being a part of such an intimate aspect of people's identity can be so meaningful to support. Yeah, it's it's really fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah, yes, absolutely. That is the right response. Yes. And, and really juicy. And it's oh, like yeah. really have a dull day at work, right? Yes. Like always so different. And I just feel I feel so honored to mm-hmm. hold this facet of, of people's lives. And then absolutely. I also I definitely feel like it's a calling of mm-hmm. like I couldn't really do anything else or if I did that I would be kind of miserable because mm. this is just the work that I'm supposed to do and it took me a while to ah. find it but then once I found it it was like oh yeah like this yeah. is supposed to do in this lifetime absolutely would you be willing to share a little bit more about that journey of listening and finding the calling for you yeah yeah absolutely um so I guess what I would start with is that I grew up kind of as a depressed kiddo and I was the youngest of five girls and I just always like didn't feel good about myself. I felt like I had really low self-esteem. I felt kind of broken and I just sort of didn't understand why. And then later in life, I found out that there was sex abuse happening mm-hmm family and and it was happening at a time that I was too young to actually remember so so throughout my adult life I experienced like all sorts of problematic sexual behavior just behaving in ways and um 
yeah, finding myself doing things that I'm like, that I didn't understand and that I felt out of control of. Wow. And then always having like a huge amount of shame, mm. like a t- completely debilitating amount of shame. And, and I didn't realize until later in life when the shame started to lift that I could actually name it of like, oh, I've been feeling completely shameful about myself, my body, who I am for my entire life. And that was like so profound. So I kind of, I started on my own healing journey and did, you know, sort of therapy and healed to a certain extent. Um, And I recognized it was like, I could talk about all the things of like, oh, these things happened in my family and oh, these are things that I'm experiencing and okay, you know, this is how I feel about it and all, you know, all of those sort of talk therapy things, but I still felt broken Mm. and I still felt that it's just like a lead weight of shame in like it was, it's very specific, like located in my belly and just heavy. And so I did some searching and I found a somatic sex educator named Catherine Jesse, and they are a total revolutionary, brilliant, um, queer, amazing, loving soul that I am so grateful to know. Um, and they actually, they just retired recently. Mm. Um, and so I, decided to attend a workshop that they were facilitating up in uh, British Columbia. And it was called an intimacy educator workshop. And I guess the part I didn't mention is, you know, kind of parallel to my healing, I decided to pursue a master's degree in counseling. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, so I had started counseling and there was this sense of like, oh, I can only go so far with my clients. And also this sense of like, huh, this isn't, maybe not, maybe it's not quite the right um, fit for me, or it felt like I wasn't quite in the right spot. So it was like this training, it was like for personal healing, but also to kind of step into learning how to work with the body and yeah, starting to work with touch. So it was like Mm -hmm. on a personal healing level and then also on a professional level. And so I attended this this training and we were all kind of staying in a home that they owned. And so it was an intense, small, really kind of like sacred space. Um, And in that space, we practiced um, touching in each other in the ways that we ask for and only the ways that we ask for. And so I found myself asking for kinds of touch that surprised me and that really what I wanted was to like be held with love and compassion and gentle touch and be told that I was okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there was a co-facilitator there that worked with me individually. And it was like, we had a session where it was like, my body was completely listened to And it was like, I felt like I shed a lifetime of shame in that session and in that experience. And it was like, oh, shit, like, this is really powerful, (laughs) you know? And it was like, it was profound for me. And then I recognized it was like, oh, I need to, this is the work that I, that I need to be doing. Um, And so I remember riding home on the ferry from BC and just like so ignited around Mm. 
like, I need to get my certification. I need to start doing this work. And so yeah. I've been doing this work since, let's see. Well, I mean, there's another part to the story, but I guess <laughs> since it's like an anarchy podcast. <laughs> I like where this is going. <laughs> the status quo that maybe it would be, you know, because it's interesting. I have different versions of the story. I love that. Yes. <laughs> like That's kind of the, the version that is, oh, so respectable and like professional and, and like, yeah, wraps it up neatly. And, and I guess the other part of the story, and, and I guess this really ties into what I feel passionate about to, to talk to people about is that at the same time I started counseling, I also started doing sex work. And I, um, initially it was like, oh, I'm going to do this thing while I get my counseling practice going. And very quickly, it was like, you know, I would see sex work clients during the day and then like counsel people at night, which is, you would think it would be the opposite. Yeah. (laughs) But it wasn't. I was like, you know, sex worker by day, counselor by night. And then I realized (laughs) like the profound difference in those spaces and how I was so much more ignited. And there was just such a potency to working with the body and working with touch and holding space for the entire person. So pretty quickly, I I essentially kind of transitioned into doing full-time touch work in the form of erotic massage. And it's kind of funny because it like counseling was the perfect cover for that because I'd be like, oh yeah, mom, I got four clients today. I'm done at this <laughs> Everyone, and I, it took me a while to really, you know, come out to people in my life around it. I, at the time, only a couple of close friends knew. And then for all my family knew, it was like, oh, Cassie is now a successful counselor. Cause like I was killing it financially. <laughs> mm-hmm. like I had all this abundance and it was like, oh, I had this client, client practice and I had, you know, had this space that I worked in. And so it really was a brilliant cover uh for quite some time and then it's like I realized it's like it kind of didn't matter like the details don't matter because it's like I was doing and am doing healing work right and it's like I do see sex work as and whether it be you know here's maybe where I want to talk about like whorephobia and the what we call the hierarchy of like you know like being a sexological body worker, like, oh, you're certified, you know, somehow it's more palatable to people. Or like, even though it's a little on the fringes, people can kind of like, wrap their mind around it or be like, oh, you're doing this like, legit thing, right? That is is now on like, sex, love and goop, like the Gwyneth Paltrow mm-hmm. show. So it's like, we're having a moment of like, people recognizing who we are and what we're doing. But also, it's like sex workers that are doing full service, that are, um, you know, working underground, that are marginalized. It's like those spaces are just as potent, right? And so it's like, I really think it's important to destigmatize touch-based work and to recognize the legitimacy and the power and the healing potential of being able to have a space to be touched erotically Mm -hmm. like 
I really feel passionate about that. And I, Mm -hmm. I still feel like there is so much stigma around, around sex work and, and like misconceptions, right. Of like, oh, it's just somebody on the street, like in high heels and a short skirt that's being pimped and is a drug addict. And then like, and that the people who frequent sex workers are these sleazy dudes that are middle-aged, you know, and it's like, it's so, that's so far from the truth. The reality is that sex workers come in all forms and shapes and sizes and colors and economic backgrounds and cultural backgrounds. They're sex workers here in our community. You know, I know a sex worker who's in her seventies, right? Yeah. And then it's like clients that I've seen, you know, range anywhere from, you know, 19 years old, 20 years old to like 90 years old. Mm -hmm. And it's like, my 90 year old was a professor or had been a professor at this like prestigious college, you know, and it's like, yeah, women, trans folks, like people of all cultures, people of all races, and people of all socioeconomic backgrounds, right? Of like, there's like, super wealthy folks. And I think that's also kind of the stereotype in some ways of like the pretty woman thing. like you know super high class you know and then Julia Roberts gets like rescued (laughs) from like the terribleness of sex you know it's just it's it's interesting I used I mean I loved that movie growing up but Mm. I grew up in the 80s so (laughs) so so yeah it's like I do feel sex work is something that is powerful touch-based work is powerful and absolutely that I really believe in and I feel passionate about advocating for a hundred percent yeah I mean I think the hypocrisy of the dynamic is this like classist struggle where we can see that it's okay on goop but then when we think about other scenarios and what we imagine in our head, that's not okay, right? Like we see that power dynamic happening right there where like one scenario is okay, one's not. And I think it's just a highlight to the hypocrisy of the whole thing. And also, yeah. I mean, I think people – this is why I love getting to have as my cat bites my arm viciously, pushing that thing away. <laughs> um this is why I also love holding this space because I think a lot of people don't talk to sex workers. A lot of people don't know a sex worker. So getting to have this space where we can talk about your story, talk about your experience, it provides, you know, a real human to imagine rather than all of the stereotypes and the media that's out there that portrays sex work in a very negative light. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's like something I was thinking about was that probably like most people know someone who is a sex worker or know someone who has been to a sex worker and they don't realize it. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yes. Because so many sex workers, it's, it's not safe. It's not safe to be out. It's not safe to just be like, Oh, you know, just like if you're a doc, Oh, I'm a doctor. It's like, it's not culturally acceptable on a you know a general level but then more more importantly it's like a matter of safety right Absolutely. like oh you can lose your housing or you know like alienate your family those kinds of things and so I think it's like probably pretty much everyone knows a sex worker and just doesn't know that they know them 
100%. I would definitely agree with that. I think, yeah, there's so much protection that is needed because of the legal system, because of all of the problematic structures that we have that don't support sex work, that it's a thing of safety. So, yeah, I think you're 100% in that we all probably know a sex worker that maybe just isn't safe enough to talk and to bring it up into the light. And so I'm really thankful that you're in this space talking about this. So thank you. And mm. yeah, I was thinking also, I wanted to thank you for sharing your story about your childhood and coming to learn about your experience and to move through that and be able to name shame and what that was in your body, the lead weight, you know, I, that's, that's a very strong illustration of how much you felt in your body from that experience. Yeah. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. 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 And honestly, like something I was, was going to say as you were talking is that like, I felt like starting to do sex work was the part, the, like the beginning of my, the true healing journey from the shame, the, you know, it's like, I don't know what happened. Like I don't have explicit mm -hmm. memories. I don't, I don't know. Like, I just don't know, but what I have come to know and what I have, you know, feels really true after doing research about, you know, kind of early childhood trauma and complex PTSD and like the ways I would show up and like depression that I experienced, you know, it's like, I could recognize that it's like, okay, this is something that impacted me. And it's like, you know, as I was talking about, like, that it felt elusive, right? Mm -hmm. Of like, no matter how I kind of like poked at it or talked about it or tried to shine a light on it, it was very elusive. And it's interesting because it's like, I didn't step into doing sex work going like, oh, this is going to be really healing for me. And then I'm going to find my calling through this. But something that was profoundly, like I found myself really starting to heal because it's like oh here I am in the space and I get to set the rules like I get to say exactly what the space entails what it doesn't entail and then over time it was like oh I can say I can say no mm -hmm. um, I can I can set boundaries I can decide not to see someone you know if that person doesn't feel safe so it's like all of that just really started to empower me on this really sort of deep embodied erotic level in a mm. way like started, you know, I think it just started to rewire my nervous system from this place of implicit kind of helplessness Absolutely. that I think had just been there throughout my life of a place of like total shame, groundlessness, mm. kind of never feeling like I was okay, never really belonging, you know, all of those things were wired in there. And then it was like, I started to find this sense of autonomy and this sense of, of power mm. and being empowered and being able to have agency over my world and to, and to also like connect with people on such a deep level. Right. Absolutely like a, a concept I really resonate with is sacred intimacy. Mm. It's like that space. It's like a space of just pure connection that has nothing to do with like social constructs or like, oh, I met you here and now we're dating. And so there's all these loaded, you know, kind of negotiations and sort of 
mind reading or, you know, like having to guess how the other person feels or it's like within this space of sacred intimacy, it's like just purely showing up with another human Mm -hmm. with unconditional compassion Mm -hmm. and care and adoration. And for me, it really does feel like a spiritual practice of like whatever body walks through my door and, and whether this was a, you know, erotic massage sex Mm -hmm. for or whether it's, you know, the work I currently do with people around sexual trauma healing, it's like whatever body arrives, it's like, I try to meet that person with a sense of pure love and compassion Mm. and acceptance. Right. And it's like, having that flow through me, it's like, oh, like that actually is really healing. (laughs) It's like like a really, it's been a really great practice, you know, of like, oh, I get to like practice this like really deep kind of unconditional acceptance, you know, even if it's like somebody has a stinky body or somebody has a really large body or somebody has you know, like they're covered in hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, sure, like yeah. Bodies are so interesting, right? Mm. So many bodies, and it's like I can find appreciation and adoration and love for for all of them, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we're always going to have our thoughts, you know, these automatic, you know, biases or whatever that come up. And I think the important thing that you're hitting on, and I always try to tell myself too, is that it's a choice, right? We can have those thoughts. We can't choose what we automatically think, but we choose how we act. And so, yes, 100%, it's a practice to be constantly or not constantly, but actively trying to channel in that love and compassion, that focus, that perspective, rather than the thoughts that float around in our head. And that's always a choice. So yes, 100%, that is great. It is a good practice to be in that state of inviting that. And yeah, it sounds like this has been such a powerful journey to gaining a sense of control. You know, you were talking about the power dynamics of you being able to set boundaries and set the, you know, this is what is going to happen in this space and this is what I'm okay with and this is what we're going to do together. And that sounds like it was a very empowering experience for you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's like until then, it was always like, I was just so starved or hungry for a sense of like connection or Mm. like belonging that it was like oh I'll I'll just like take what I can get and I found myself in abusive relationships you know relationships where I was being very poorly treated relationships Mm. where I was being actively like cheated on actively humiliated like um and now I look back and I'm just like how it's like it feels like it's not even me anymore right of like how was how did I how was that okay like how Mm. how was it okay and I try to you know it's like a little shame bubbles up when Mm. I think about like things that happened maybe you know 10-15 years ago it was like there was this period in my life where it was like you know every like I call it kind of being off the rails right Mm. of just like I was kind of chaotic um I was partying a lot like I just what I I wasn't you know taking great care of myself um I hadn't really dealt with my mood disorder Mm. and so 
I found myself with these really um, toxic men who, and it's like, oh, now as I look back, I understand why, right? Mm -hmm. I, I understand. So it's like the shame bubbles up and then it's like, okay, I need to extend compassion for myself because that's just where I was in my journey. And now I'm in a different place. And now it's like, I have found a beautiful, wonderful partner who is incredibly loving, incredibly mm. distant and grounded and supportive. Um, and I think had I not healed the sort of, you know, sexual trauma stuff, it's like, I wouldn't have been able to, you know, connect with that kind of partner. And so it's like, interesting how you know that parallel of like where you are in your healing and then the kinds of people that you sort of draw in and find yourself around and so yeah absolutely a hundred percent I even yeah I mean like you resonate with that (laughs) yes a hundred percent I resonate with that and also just even the concept of draw in it is so not our faults right like I even want to challenge that language like we are not drawing these people in we're so used to these patterns right this is what has been enacted for us before of how relationships are of how we should expect to be treated and it's so hard because when you're in that state um I mean we're all constantly healing right so I want I don't want to say like when we're unhealed, you know, like we're all healing, but in that state, it's almost like we crave that dynamic, kind of almost like an addict kind of like mentality of like, I crave this thing that is actively destroying me, but not being able to see that at the same time, you know, it's so hard in that space. Yeah, absolutely. And something I, you know, I've noticed in my clients and then it's like, oh, that was happening for me too, is that like, Often with sexual trauma, it's like uh, on a subconscious level, our body mind is trying to move toward wholeness. Mm -hmm. Like that's the, like we're wired to, to try to experience a sense of integration and wholeness, whether we're, whether we explicitly have that intention or not. And so the brilliance of our bodies is that we're like, oh, there's something back there that I need to heal or, oh, there's something in this like sex space that I need to to sort through. And so our bodies are drawn toward these experiences because we're trying to have a corrective experience. Yep. Um, and so then often it's like, this is why I think kink can be so healing for people. And I've found this time and time again with my clients um, is that they get drawn to these things and it's like sometimes there's like shame around it but then it's like oh you actually can reframe this entire it's like oh you get to be tied up and powerless but you get to do it on your terms absolutely or like oh you're drawn to be restrained or choked or you know whatever the kink is it's like you can approach that in a way that is totally empowered and through that allow that trauma like basically kind of almost go back and like neurologically sort of repattern from mm-hmm. things that happened before mm-hmm. so I just often hold up for people the brilliance of our bodies and the resilience in t- and then also like this thing around sometimes it's like people have these turn-ons And they're just like, oh, like, why am I turned on by that? Or, oh, this doesn't make sense. But then it's like often 
what happens, it's like the brilliance of our bodies, we subconsciously like turn super traumatic, troubling experiences into erotic. Mm. So it's like reframing those things that, you know, someone might be drawn to of like, you know, I've had clients where it's like, oh, I see violence on TV and I get totally wet. Mm. And, and like, that's, I feel totally ashamed about that. And so that's gross. And like, really it's like, oh, you had violence, you know, perpetrated towards you. And the way that you survived is to turn that into pleasure. So it's like, I think it's really important for people to know that because I think it's like people have a lot of shame around the ways they respond sexually. And it's like, you know, if you've had trauma, chances are it's like, it's just your own resilience coming through. And like how cool that our bodies are like, oh, this is terrible. And so, okay, I'm going to rewire so that this thing actually feels pleasurable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a survival response. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I don't know. I don't, ugh, there's so many different ways I could take this. I'm curious if that's something that you've experienced in your own body and something that you've felt through your own personal journey. Yeah. This is really vulnerable. And I think I'll go ahead and, and share it. Mm -hmm. I was recently talking to a friend about this who has a a similar turn on. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have this turn on and I've always had it. Like, it's interesting from my very first boyfriend at 17 to now my current husband, and we're in a married monogamous relationship because that's what works for both of us and our nervous systems. It's like, I am so, it's like, it's funny because people think as like a, someone working in the realm of sex that I'm like super kinky and like polyamorous and like, I celebrate all of that. And it's, it's just not what feels good for me. Right. And so I, throughout my life have been very turned on thinking about my partner having sex with someone else, like right in front of me. Right. And so it's like really erotically charged. And what I've connected is that it's like, you know, in my past, there's been forms of abandonment. Mm. And so it's like turning that abandonment into a turn on. Right. Mm -hmm. And I didn't consciously do that. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, I'm going to like, like try to get excited about this thing so that I can feel better or heal something. But, but it's like, oh, and I was really ashamed about that turn a long time and I was even in safe spaces and at times and it's like you know as part of my somatic sex education um journey and training you know we really kind of dig deep into our own stuff and it was like I felt really ashamed Mm. that that was what turned me on but then now I'm like oh like no wonder like no wonder I'm turned on by that of like yeah I've been left and just you know stuff Everybody, everybody's got daddy stuff <laughs> but like yeah that like dad abandonment but then it's like okay so let me make abandonment and just like oh leaving you over in the corner while I go have sex with somebody like let like let's make that a turn on um Absolutely. so yeah, I have I have experienced that yeah and it's interesting. <laughs> I'll share. I mean, maybe this will be kind of funny. So my my husband, um, he grew up in a Christian cult. And so he 
from a young age was just like, okay, this is bullshit. But it was one of those cults where it's like, if you don't go along with it, then you get excommunicated and you, you never get to see your family again. Right. Like you, they can't even talk to you. Wow. He meets me and then he's just, we fall in love and he's just like, oh shit. It's like, basically I have to choose between being with you and like having a family. Right. Wow. So he, he, he chose me, but then, and I had guilt about that for a while. Like, oh, I caused you to lose your family. But he's like, no, I was going to leave anyway. It was just a matter of time. Um, so anyway, it's like his mom is kind of a stalker. <laughs> just kind of what? <laughs> so she has never even bought. I mean, it's like he got immediately ostracized. They don't even talk to him. Hmm. And this has been five years now, right? Hmm. And so, so it's funny because um, when I, I've had a few podcast interviews and different spaces where I've talked kind of openly about sex work and my journey. And it's like, there's this little part of me that's just like, oh, his mom is listening. (laughs) And I kind of don't care. Right. (laughs) But then there's this, like, I think there's, I think it's like, yeah, I feel really empowered in talking about it. And then it's just like, I know it's like, she's probably gobbling it all up and just like seething. (laughs) Yes, you feel her presence. I mean, maybe it's kind of fun of just like, yep, you can go ahead and believe that I'm the devil and that I like corrupted your son or, you know, made him stray from the Lord or whatever bullshit you know, way you want to put it. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, in her eyes, you're a sex witch, you know? I mean, (laughs) come over here, you know? Yeah, so let's see if you're out there, you can fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) I love the energy. I mean, hey, this is your relationship, your empowerment, your life, you know what I mean? Like, no. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you sharing all that. I mean, I would love to talk to your husband. That's probably a very very interesting story all of the journeys that he's gone through I can't even imagine yeah yeah he's definitely yeah been on a journey and it's funny because I think I have more feelings about it than than he does because he's just kind of like yeah fine now everything's good and I don't have bad feelings toward my parents and you know he's very but I kind of I do feel like there's a little bit of like just sort of wrapping things up right and just not really wanting to you know like dissect everything or yeah. to I think it's a way of coping of like sure okay I'm gonna close the door and, and just be like oh I'm okay I don't need to talk about it kind of thing absolutely to accept that you know because I was just so angry at his family and I'm like why are you not angry and then he would be mad at me for being so like you know like upset and like so like I, f- I felt like harsh towards this family because oh, I just don't understand but over time it's like okay that's just my response and he has a different experience and he has love for them and like and all of that can be and that I don't need to be mad on his behalf Absolutely. And I mean, at the core of that, you you love and care for him and you want to keep him safe. So, you know, that drives that protection to, yeah, what what is going on here? Why are you still with them? And that sort of energy. So, I mean, it's all coming back to that love and care for him. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I personally have my own fears and questions I want to bring up into the space. Okay. I 
because you were talking about monogamy and poly, like, okay, I have this huge fear that if I was monogamous with someone for the rest of my life, that sex would become boring and I would hate it. <laughs> so curious if you could solve that huge problem or what your thoughts are on it, how long you've been with your partner and what, you know, what your experience is. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's yeah. a great I think something that humanity has wrestled with, right? When it was like expected that everyone was monogamous, it's yep. like people still weren't monogamous. And it's because of that reason of like wanting the novelty and the excitement, right? So I work with, you know, I've worked with couples quite a bit who are kind of struggling with this same thing and like, you know, finding, finding themselves in monogamous relationships, but then having things sort of either be disconnected or out of sync sexually, you know, or fizzling out, right? And so really, it's a matter of having to work at it, mm. <laughs> right? Just having to consciously, like, make time for intimacy and make time for pleasure yeah. uh, and be in tune to each other's desires. And it it is work, right? Mm. Like, it, so I think it's like, people who are monogamous, it's like, you know, you have to be kind of willing to either put in the work or to, willing to maybe have things become less fiery over time. And, mm -hmm. and a lot of people are totally content with that of like, yeah. okay, yeah, like, especially older couples, it's like, and some people are just feel okay with that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But if you're not okay with that, it's like, there's definitely ways to, you know, sort of keep things fresh and somatic sex education offers a lot of tools for that because mm -hmm. it's based on the idea. It's like, it's not just about like penetrative sex. It's about being, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can we talk about that? Wow. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like people, you know, they just think of like sex. Oh, sex means penetrative sex. And both people have to be really turned on. And if like, they're not totally turned on both of them and they don't orgasm, like something is wrong. Right. And like, that is pretty ridiculous because we all are wired so differently and we have different arousal patterns and, uh, you know, different times of day that we like feel more excited and like to expect all of that to line up perfectly and for their just fireworks to go off on like a tri-weekly basis or something it's just like it's unreasonable and so mm -hmm. just getting real about that and then just starting to create space for each person to get their needs met and and like being curious about like so there's an exercise in somatic sex education called uh, essentially it's called bossy massage and so essentially the person who's receiving gets to ask for the kinds of touch that they want and they don't think about you know what the how the other person wants to touch them they think solely about what do I want you know so the person who's giving the touch is like how would you like to be touched and so someone might be like oh I'd like you to you know caress my hair and then you know slowly drag your fingertip down over my breasts and so the other person just exquisitely does that and then ask the other person of like what would make this better would faster or slower be better would harder or softer be better and so just learning to attune to your partner and to gather information about what they want and to meet those needs and there's some really awesome 
resources. So all of this kind of comes from the work of doc, uh, Dr. Betty Martin. Oh, sweet. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And the wheel of consent mm-hmm. and about the wheel of consent and like, yeah, that sometimes you can just be like in that serving role of like you're serving your partner and like that can be a really juicy space and that like oh you'll have your turn to accept for your pleasure right mm-hmm. and then also like when you're allowing or in, or in do I mean allowing can be okay as long as you actually feel good about it but when you're like you slip into enduring of like oh my husband's been touching my clit like this for 20 years and I pretend like I like it and I it actually doesn't feel good it's like that's enduring bad touch right learning that you don't have to endure you can just start to communicate with your, your partner openly because it's like yeah like it's okay if they don't know because they're not gonna know unless you tell them like we can't intuit you know, all of the information from someone's body, I think it's like, there's kind of an expectation around that of like, oh, you got to be a good lover. And, and that means just like reading someone's mind and body. And it's like, everyone's body is so different and turn ons and types of touch people enjoy. So it's all about creating space for communicating that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the more, you you know, back to your question, the more that that's happening in a monogamous relationship, the more people are feeling like they're getting their needs met. Mm-hmm. And then also they can express desires. And maybe the desire is like, hey, I would like to try this kink. I would like, you know, to, you know, have you spank me or whatever the thing is. And then it's like maybe the other person isn't totally excited by it, but they can show up for that desire. And, and then the needs are met. Mhm 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 100% yeah i think what was coming up for me was the idea of attunement you had talked about that i mean when i'm thinking about that massage that's a great thing like if i could recommend anything to listeners is just like yeah set all the expectations aside sit with your partner and ask them how do you like to be touched and just yeah. have that session like just just do that right and let that experience go wherever it goes and take turns I think that would radically change a ton of people's sex lives just to slow down that much to that sort of activity yeah and and taking penetrative sex off the table yes yes like not even an option like you need to touch your partner with your hands yes and then so much sensuality in that because then it's like oh I've never actually been touched this way by you and it's just those you know more subtle levels of eroticism 100 percent. it's almost like there's sometimes the script to sex you know we do little kissing make out foreplay penetration over bam right which for that works and can be something that you do but that is missing the whole vast spectrum of sexuality which is yeah. in full of creativity and play like this is adult play adult exploration of our bodies and it can be in so many different ways without penetration at all and at the core of that should be pleasure right and there can be pleasure in the softest of touch that even doesn't even touch genitals right and we are just too myopically focused on them to even see the vast world of what we can be exploring with partners yeah Um, totally Totally. It's almost like it's like a, you know, penetrative sex. It's like a planet, but then there's like a galaxy of ways to connect, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
And when you were talking about monogamy and um, long-term partnerships, right, where you're getting to know someone's body, I think what was coming up for me was this metaphor of an instrument, right? I mean, if we think of all of our bodies as completely unique instruments with different strings, different chords to play, I mean, part of that takes time, learning, practice, of learning how to play that instrument. You want to have a whole performance? I mean, you got to put in the hours to learn what touch, what strumming is right. (laughs) I love, I love that metaphor so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're not going to nail it right away, right? You're not just going to, oh, I'm going to pick up this new instrument and and like play this beautiful song, right? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. In dramatic sex education, it kind of totally, it beautifully ties into this other metaphor. I remember from, you know, part of the curriculum, it was like thinking of sex as like a bunch, a bunch of instruments like jamming together, right? Of like, everyone's got their own instrument and you can just jam together and it's okay that they are all different, Absolutely. right? But then, yeah, we can play each other's instruments. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a uniqueness to that when you're doing that in a monogamous partnership where you do set aside that time to focus on that work. I mean, I, I love that you use that word work or I guess discipline or or maybe even a better word that maybe doesn't have so much of a like a intention, maybe intention, intentional time, you know, like setting that aside with intention that we are going to spend this time together to build this, even if it isn't one of those like fiery, I'm going to, you know, just whatever come together so intensely over time. Yeah. I'm just so afraid, you know, (laughs) I'm so deeply afraid. Uh, Yeah. I I find myself leaning, even with all the studying that I'm doing, like leaning more monogamous in my own orientation at times. And so it's been like an interesting thing to kind of walk through knowing that I've kind of tried both and trying to figure out what sits for me, but there's just so much fear that I'd end up in a sexless marriage and like hate that. So yeah. Well, and I think that, yeah, like back to the communication of just like, yeah, yeah continuing to have a fresh conversation okay, about what yeah. desires are. And then maybe there's a point where it's like that you can't, I, it's like, I know a lot of couples who engage sex workers and they engage sex workers because it's safe. And, and it's like, there's not the potential of these like emotional um, entanglements. Like it's clear that this is an erotic space and like there's some some couples who they decide to seek out a sex worker erotic massage provider. So it's like, oh, there's not penetration. Like, you know, so it's like there's ways yeah, to kind sure. of, you know, work within monogamy in a way that kind of keeps that like, you know, that structure, but then allows that little bit of exploration. Absolutely. That it's so it's like finding the exploration that's safe enough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know of like oh that's that's safe enough and fits within this container of what we've decided for ourselves and it's juicy and and that we both want to do it so it's like I think it's it's possible you know to keep things ignited Absolutely. Um, but then also it's okay it's like um have you heard of Jack Morin so he wrote a book called The Erotic Mind Um, And so he's a, I believe he's like a a sexologist. I I don't know exactly what his background is, but he wrote this book all around eroticism and our our brains and turn-ons and things like that. And so 
what he was talking about with couples is that it's like, you know, it's like you, you meet each other and then you have hot sex, right? It's like hot. And so it's, and that's amazing. And people want that to keep, keep going. They want who it's like, people want to keep having hot sex, but the reality is that maybe what you'll have is warm sex. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about warm sex and like what warm sex can feel like and like how lovely is warm. Mm-hmm. Warm is lovely and you can still maybe have some hot. I mean, I'm not saying it's like people are doomed to warm sex. Not that it's a doom. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? exactly. It's not a prescription of like, oh, eventually you're going to have warm sex. But also it's like kind of reframing this idea that like, oh, there it's like there has to be all of these like fireworks and explosions and like spontaneity and all these things it's maybe not how real life is for for most people and most relationships 100 percent, and most of our life right I mean even going into like other things outside of sex careers we're like this can be so exciting and then you get in the day-to-day of it and I mean there's a reality too our experience that isn't always like high intensity stimulus, but I do find it interesting as a society, we are moving towards that more like high stimulus state with, you know, the internet, other things like a ton of dopamine. So I think it will be interesting to see how throughout the changes of even our neurobiology, right, of what we want in terms of like stimulus reward seeking, how that will change our generational differences in monogamy and non-monogamy. Yes. At least from what I've seen. So profound. Like, I think so spot on of like, our brains are just different. And like, yeah, we want to just digest the like story on our Instagram, you know, and then move on to the next story. Right. I, is, are you doing your dissertation on this? Because I know you're you're a PhD student, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. ID, but similar. Um, yeah. So mine's on relationship anarchy. And so part of that is, or do you know about relationship anarchy? Um, I think I've heard of it, but I don't know exactly what it, sure, what the sure, definition sure. is. Yeah. So basic definition is constructing relationships outside of the normative expectations, right? So similar to polyamory, but also a step out to even say, we're going to value our platonic, romantic, and or sexual relationships on a fluidity that feels natural for each relationship. So instead of being like, oh, my sexual partner is the most important one because they're my sexual and romantic and my platonic are just friends, it's trying to have more of that fluidity and lack of hierarchy, but also the malleability to construct stuff on, construct relationship agreements on your own accord and what feels good for you. Yeah. Which I think is really beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. So organic. And it's just like, yeah. And if everybody is on board with that co-constructing, then it's like things can just sort of flow in in the ways they need to flow and or that feel good for them to flow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And like that might even capture something more so like the partners who were using or going to sex workers for different experiences, right? I mean, it's whatever label feels right for those people, but some people would say that's not monogamy, right? Because you're having a sexual experience outside of your relationship. At the end of the day, these are all different labels, whatever we use to fit, right? But I think, I hope people see as we continue to, you know, explore relationships and the different structures as society starts to let go of some of the biases that were just very mononormative, that there's a lot of different ways to do this. There's no right way. 
each way is individual for each person and their experience. I've been relating it a lot to um, having kids, right? Like you can have four kids. You could have no kids. You're going to live radically different lives with different amounts of time, energy, space to dedicate to things. And neither life is is right or wrong. They're just different choices of how you want to do this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And like all of the value judgments about that, I feel like it's just like embedded from like, you know, Christianity and, you know, religion and patriarchy and, you know, and it's just like, oh, if we can just let those dissolve, then we can all just be how we want to be. And like, why not? Like, like, why not just let people be how they want to be? It's like, I recently on the news was hearing, it's like, there's these, I think it's just like uh, far right groups that are just really like amping up against LBG, LBGT, like L. <laughs> I got you. I got you. <laughs> uh, people and it's like really, you're so con- still you're so concerned with how people conduct their their sexual intimate lives that has nothing to do with you. Yeah. It's just like, it's mind, it's mind blowing. Oh, and, and that, that, you know, like trans folks are, you know, essentially like defiling our children and, you know, that drag shows are disgusting, you know, just like, really like let people be, let people be how they want to be, let them move towards pleasure in the ways they want to move toward pleasure. It's like, it's so interesting to me how people, you know, it's like, they get so fired up or like person and it's just like oh and I think it's the religion piece right and then also I think it's the piece I think people get so upset because it's like oh but wait I kind of see myself over there and so if I get really angry about it and then stick to the Lord or whatever it is then then I can still feel okay within myself and fit into this normative uh Christian culture yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the things that really fire people up and bring up a huge response in you, in me, are typically a reflection of what we have not accepted within ourselves. Yeah. The stuff we Absolutely. have, yeah, the stuff we have processed through, thought about, that doesn't bring up much for us. You know, we hear, oh, yeah, you know. But if it's something that hits in you, that's when we see the fire, that's when we see this response. Yes, absolutely. And unfortunately, I think it's like a large number of people. It's like they are so far from even taking a look at that, right? Of just like they're so ingrained in this, this, you know, culture, this mindset that, you know, they're not even willing or they won't consider that maybe there's something to learn. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I hope that we continue to go in the opposite direction of that. You know what I mean? Jeez. Yeah, and I think it's like it feels like the evolution is happening, right? Like I do, I do feel that. And then I, you know, something I want to note is that yeah, over time, you know, as I've done touch-based work, it's like it it was very often, you know, uh cis men that were, mm-hmm. you know, that were feel felt empowered to step into a space with erotic touch or sexual healing and like over time there's been more women more queer folks more trans folks non-binary folks and it's like I think there's more of a sense of like yeah like I can empower myself sexually and I can you know evolve and be my best sexual self and I don't have to you know kind of 
live in the box of normative culture. I can just go for it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. When when I received my own yoni massage, it was profoundly healing as a sexual assault survivor to go through that experience and to have my nervous system relax to the touch of another person. Yeah. It's yeah. profound. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And somebody who's not trying to get something from you, exactly. you know, yes. there to be of service to you. Yes. It can be so hard to receive so hard. I'm curious what kind of practitioner you went to, if you don't mind sharing. Yeah, it was with, um, it was actually with one of the people that I recorded on the podcast early on. I think it's like episode six. So he does yoni massage work and energy work. Awesome. Yeah. So it was a really great experience. And I remember even, I think it's profound for me even to talk about it now because when I recorded it on episode six, I didn't talk about my experience because I think there was this fear as someone going into, you know, the clinical psychology realm, like, could there be backlash for me even receiving the service, right? And yeah. going into that. And, you know, where I'm at now is strat- radically different now. So I'm like, fuck the system. This is what I do. And I'm going to honor that, right? And, and, and I'm not going to lie about how healing it was for me to even be empowered to pay for that sort of service to receive pleasure. That's empowering. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. I think that's that's really beautiful. Thank you. And yeah. I I really I celebrate your, you know, bravery and and sharing. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it makes me feel even more passionate about what I do of like Absolutely. on a cultural collective level, like this needs to change. Like oh, this yeah. sex this sex and body wound is deep mm-hmm. and it and it's shrouded in shame and secrecy and like numbness right because there's not space or there's not not enough space for for that all of that to be brought into the light so that we can you know have what we're you were talking about like this flowy beautiful existence of like being able to connect and have pleasure in the ways that that you want without like fear and shame Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean you are battling years of patriarchal thinking and systems. Yeah. 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 So thank you. Yeah. 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 You're, you're so welcome. Yeah. We need, we need more people doing this work and being brave enough to use their voice to talk about it and be open about it. Right. I know you talked about the protection and the fear. And so I just, yeah, thank you for coming onto this space, for talking about your experience and being so open about it. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for having me and yeah. for creating this space in the first place. And Absolutely. yeah, what you're doing is, is really important. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I do want to ask one closing question that I ask everyone on the podcast. Yeah. And this question is, what is one thing that you wish other people knew was more normal? So I think that I wish people knew it's normal to be messy and it's normal to feel broken. It's normal to feel a huge amount of shame and it's yeah normal to not feel like you meet the standards of normative culture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that is resonating with me, the messiness, right? 
Yeah. And I mean, look at nature. Look at nature. We see different size. I'm looking at your pothos in the background, but right, we see different size leaves, different patterns. Every single piece is completely different. I mean, think about snowflakes, right? Like every single one is intricate, yet one single snowflake would never meet the normative then, right? I mean, we've constructed these normative patterns on what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's all just a like a falsity right it's just like it's a it's a illusion right of like this perfection that somehow people need to reach or these standards that Mm -hmm. are set by I mean all the all the oppressive systems right like white supremacy patriarchy um religion and it's just like yeah I think slowly more and more folks are are breaking free of that and and as part of that yeah like I really celebrate the messiness I celebrate the the imperfection and the Mm. rawness and the and the not enoughness right Mm -hmm. I would say that's the beauty of being a human (laughs) in many ways I think about like you know, fake roses. Why do why do we give people real flowers that die, you know, compared to just some fake plastic ones? There is the beauty in the fact that it's imperfect. It will die eventually. Part of our human experience is that we are not plastic. We are real creatures with fallible aspects of maybe a little, you know, hole on our leaves or whatever, and we are all going to die. I mean, that is the beauty of the human experience. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. It was so much fun to talk to you and just get to share ideas and share space with you. This was such a pleasure. If you enjoyed today's episode, then leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're a part of the anarchist community, then follow us on Instagram or nominate a guest for the show by sending in a letter to modernanarchypodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.